Coming up on the Dilaprant Warrender podcast, the 2000 Olympics. Yes, Sid, Millie, and Ollie. We're going to look at that and much, much more. My guest is Phil Minnis. You'll meet him just after the song. When I was re-listening to this episode, given I am the producer, you know, it sort of struck me that we actually didn't cover a lot of the sports that were played during the Olympics. We probably missed a hundred of them, but had we covered all of them and covered all the medals, you'd be listening to this episode for 24 hours. So we really try to focus on the highlights, the lowlights and everything in between. If you have a suggestion or if, if you think we missed something, you know, I'm keen for that listener feedback. So let me know. On future episodes, we're going to be covering a lot of other different sports. You know, I'm a big cricket fan, but I'm going to actually be trying to cover a little bit of rugby, a bit of tennis, particularly Wimbledon, because there've been some really famous finals, maybe some Australian Opens, some football, and a whole lot of other sports. But if there's something that you want me to cover or something you want to revisit, just let me know. I'm really looking for that listener feedback. But yeah, coming up, the Sydney 2000 Olympics with my guest, Phil Minnis. I'll see you right after this. It is the Dilip Ram All-Rounder podcast, the 2000 Sydney Olympics. And there's no one better to bring on to talk about this than one of my good mates. I worked with him for five, six years. We're both lawyers, Philip Minnis. Philip, welcome. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to reminiscing. Do you remember when we first met? I do. We met in a lift. 2013. Yes. Yeah, good, good, good. We met in a lift. I locked eyes and... The rest is history. Phil, before we get into reminiscing or rewatching of the 2000 Olympics, um, is football your favorite sport? Yeah, I'd say so. I love f- soccer. For yeah. The, you know. So, wait, are we there. calling it soccer or football? We can call it soccer. We, the team's called the Socceroos. So yeah, true. I think we can call it soccer. But yeah, soccer is my probably number one. But yeah. I, I do love most sports. I got to give you credit. You have taken me to a couple of Sydney FC games. Otherwise, I probably would never have gone to those. And we went to derbies, I think. Yeah, that we did. Crazy. We did. And then I'm guessing you would have you would have wanted to be a football superstar if you could choose one sport. Definitely. Yeah. I was, thought I was going to be the next David Beckham. It was relax. Like, relax. Going up. Harry Keel. Those are the guys I looked oh. up to. All right. And final question. There's no context. Who's the goat? Ooh. If you have to think, then... Well, no context. I need context, <laughs> mate. Goating what? I would say in... I just said, who's well, the goat? Who's the goat? LeBron James. We're going to end the podcast. Um, <laughs> all right. So now if I mention the words Sid, Millie and Ollie... Three little pointless mascots. I never got the concept of a mascot for anything, any sport, especially these Olympics. But I do remember... I don't remember the th- who each one was, but yep. there was that yellow echidna. Yes. There was, that's all I remember. Like some picture of something blue, something red. It was a platypus. It was an echidna. Maybe it was a wombat. No, it wasn't a wombat because Roy and HG came up with a fourth unofficial mascot. Which is a wombat. Fatso. 
the far-assed wombat or something like that. <laughs> so Sid, Millie and Ollie, they were the essence of the, the Olympics because for us, we were, I think, Phil, you might have been nine, eight or nine at the time. I was uh, 10 years old in 2000. The Sydney Olympics was actually announced in 1993. Um, I was I re-watching was a YouTube clip which had the actual announcement by Juan Antonio Samaranch. You remember that name? He, yeah. I think I he do. was the IOC uh, chairman. Or something. Yep. And in 93, there were two big nations that were gunning for the Olympics. It was Australia and China. And Australia somehow managed to win. I, I'm told they, we spent a lot of money on, I think it was $27 million to wow. ensure we got support. I don't know where that $27 million goes. 93, we get announced. It's a different time in Australian history. The recession we needed to have. We, we had did. To have. We did. And, and then there was all this excitement. I think the coverage was Ann Sanders on Channel 7. If, do you remember that name? I think she's still, um, she's still delivering the news today. But it was Ann Sanders, Bruce McAvaney, all there, very excited. I don't think I remember how I was feeling in 1993. I was three years old. But <laughs> do you remember they would have these signs throughout Sydney saying how many days? that were the, the countdown? I do, I do. And I, I I was lucky enough, I guess, to have grown up around the area, around Homebush and leading up to it, the years leading up to it, I would, and these are like core memories, I would um, on a Saturday morning go to swimming lessons at Homebush, what would be the Olympic venue for the swimming and with my dad and it was a construction site. It was um, a hole, you know, just mud and dirt and tractors and, I still remember driving through and my dad would say, you know, the Olympics are going to be here soon. It's going to be crazy. That excitement of what was to come was built into me quite early on. Um, but yeah, the signs and, and those, those countdowns you mentioned, I remember those too. There was definitely a buzz. Like even by being that young, I, I felt it and can rem still remember it. I agree. There was a buzz for, you know, what was to be one of the biggest events that Sydney had ever hosted. I think back then core memories for us are that we didn't have other distractions at the time. So, you know, we're innocent seven, eight, nine, ten year old guys who love sport, love other sports and don't really watch that much of swimming, athletics, taekwondo, weightlifting. I mean the only chance the only opportunities we'd get to watch that are the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games. Was it intentional that it happened during our school holidays? Don't remember, but it was in September, which I'm told is the set only the second time in history that the Olympics weren't held during the traditional northern hemisphere summer and the only time before this, the first time was in melbourne 1956 so only two times pre sydney had the olympics been held outside of um that time frame and i was talking to my my dad about this last night actually just and he remembers it'll just that, be your dad my mom and dad listening but yeah, that's, that's fine it, that, that's <laughs> well mate this is what's gonna happen 100 episodes in and then people will start listening and then they'll cancel us. And doesn't yeah. every big podcaster says, don't listen to my first few. Oh, crap. I had yeah. no idea what I was doing. So I'm happy to be your Give me 10 episodes. The you're, you're the guinea pig. Yeah. The guinea yeah. pig. But no, my dad remembers that um, the government at the time was saying, get out of Sydney. It's going to be full of tourists. Go on holidays. I think they may have shifted the school holidays or when they traditionally were held. And a lot of people did. Locals emptied. The tourists came in. And I guess we were lucky because as we'll go through. I was, there. I was still here. My family didn't go anywhere and yeah, had some great memories as a result. But that was, um, yeah, a bit more context of what we were to expect. Like it was going to be busy and 
it's full of people. So they encouraged the locals to actually get out. At the time, my mum and dad were also very excited to sort of attend a lot of the events. And so I think it was there, there was a lottery system for events you could go to. Interesting what you attended, but we, I think six months before the games, or it might've been a year, my mum said, oh, we've got all these tickets to the Olympics. And we had tickets to the dress rehearsal, dress rehearsal for the opening ceremony, um, which I'll come to. Um, Badminton, we had athletics, baseball, women's basketball, and I don't think we attended a swimming event, but those were the sort of five um, events that we went to. And I got to say, like, they were actually amazing events. Yeah, sure. They and just, be. it felt like an Easter, sh it, you know, for people who are sitting here, the Easter show in Australia, like there's a, you know, it's a mass of people all attending different stalls, but it felt like that for three weeks. But yeah, and it was, it's the whole city that has that feeling, I feel like, not just wherever the Easter show is held. Exactly. Um, in terms of the events that I went to, so I just had a rant saying that we stayed and loved it, but we actually didn't go to much. We only went to the gold medal soccer match between Cameroon and Spain. And Did Cameroon win that? Cameroon won on penalties. It yeah. was actually a yeah. crazy match. Two nil, Spain were 2-0 up in like 15 minutes, like pretty early on. Cameroon came back, went to penalties, and a massive upset. But... Um, I don't know if you if I can talk about that now, but you that, can. Um, I mean, was it a highlight for you? Oh, it was the only event I went to, but yeah, I still yeah. Uh, honestly remember it. And what's crazy is I just for researching this podcast, I looked back at the teams that started for Cameroon and Spain, and there's some like world class future legends in that in those teams. Like Cameroon had Samuel Eto'o. Um, Football at the Olympics still back then was it yeah. under twenty fours, under twenty threes, and you could have like a few guest players that were older, overage players. So I don't know who this, this Cameroon guys were, but and in Spain, Puyol and Xavi were in that team, and a few other names like that. Well, you know, only nerds like me would know, but um, mate, everyone knows Puyol and no, Xavi. Other names, <laughs> Captavilla. True, true, and, true, true. Yeah. Um, no, that, I, I take that. I think. I, I think football always gets forgotten at the at a Olympic Games because you've got your own you've yeah. got your own World, World Cup. Cup. Yeah. So in terms of what was what was being said at the time, so Australia did end up beating Beijing out for for the hosting the Olympics. So if you watch the video, it's a two hour video. Maybe go to the one hour and one minute where Samaranch announces it. You see the Beijing committee just you know clap, but they were very disappointed. So, but they ultimately did get the Olympics in 2008. Australia's got a rich lineage of, you know, superstar athletes that have performed at the Olympics. So I think it was well-deserved. There were, I think nearly 11,000 athletes representing 109 countries. I mean, 199 countries, I think. 199, you're right. Yes, 199. I mean, when I say that, it doesn't mean much to me. It's just, you know, it's the Olympics, yeah. 199 countries. I got to say, when I was at the dress rehearsal, the most boring part of any Olympics is when they announce all the countries because Australia goes first. Eight, like, no, I think, Australia, well, it, oh, Australia went we went last. last. Yeah. yeah, so we had to watch it all. Do you remember who took the flag out? Big Andrew Gaze. Andrew Gaze, he did. That's interesting. I mean, Andrew Gaze, yes, he's a great Australian athlete, but... Australia was never going to win the basketball. But I think it was because he was it his fourth or fifth Olympics that he was attending. That's what okay. why he got it. That's true. So it was more of a career recognition. Yeah. Yeah. From memory. I had no interest in watching the closing ceremony because I think all I would have felt was a little 
sadness that the that the games had just finished and you know this basically this period of holidays where i'm watching sport every day i didn't want to see yeah you didn't want it to end but do you remember sorry we're skipping ahead at the closing ceremony one of my only memories of it was i don't know if it was how it started but do you remember that rogue gardener or the guy on the tractor that just you know no you don't remember he was like (laughs) hopefully i'm not dreaming this but if i remember from our memory they shaped the art to start with guys you know important bureaucrats about to jump on stage to you know give some boring speech and then a crazy guy on a on a guy like a tractor just went straight through it all and then just terrorized um the stadium you don't remember that like went through all the dances they were preparing and and i remember being eight or nine at the time like fully panicked like didn't know if it was was it intentional no it was yeah it was it was part Ah, of the right just like you know aussies showing that they don't take themselves too seriously. But I remember just thinking, holy crap. He's going to run over. He's going to run over, yeah. like how embarrassing. And Well, you know, the, the irony, and it sort of ties in with um, the context of the time, is we were in the year 2000. And if something like that happened now, I think everyone would have been a lot more worried and said, this is some rogue person, like maybe something's going on at a big public event. But in 2000, we had... We hadn't had September 11. We, I think there was a lot more innocence back then. And you could probably those sort of events or those sort of actions you could do and people people wouldn't immediately um, think it was something sinister. Yeah, look, I think this could probably be its own podcast, but 2001, September 11, I look at that as our modern, you know, BC, AD. Like it's a, you know, line in the sand type moment of how just the world was and that's what i think also makes sydney such a special um olympics because that was unless something else happened before september 11 in between but that would have been the last big event global event um that we all would have shared before you know that event so i'm obviously too young to remember the exact feelings around you know the vibe and how it shifted and how 2004 was like even then i was i remember it and Mm still a bit too young to actually appreciate if there was any difference between how you know the vibe was and how the world reacted to you know one big event everyone had to fly there I'm, I'm pretty sure people were nervous about flying for a while after september 11. well so, people have always been nervous about flying and i'm probably gonna i think there would have been athletes then that didn't want to fly to australia because australia was seen as you know we're always seen as on the other side of the world it's a long flight for europe it's a long flight for the States. How can you really summarize an Olympics? There's too many events. It's It would be disrespectful to sort of, I, like you would identify certain things, but then, you know, some people have been training their whole life for um, an Olympics in shooting that, you know, maybe half the world doesn't know about, weightlifting and all of that. So it's hard to sort of just say what was the highlights, but I guess from a personal perspective, you and me, we were obviously going for or supporting um, the Australians to win. I got to say, I felt like we dominated. Yeah, for sure. I I just got this sense that the Australian team w- was probably the best team at the Olympics. And maybe I felt that way because we started on fire. The swimming events always kicked off after the opening ceremony. Thorpe winning initially and all our you know athletes, the four by 100s, like dominating early. I just felt like we'd started off on the right foot. Look, ultimately Australia won 16 gold medals, which is... Uh, which is great. We tailed away at the end when it came to the athletics, but I don't think we're known. Like we we won a few, we can get into it. But yeah, 16 gold medals. It was the first time I think triathlon and taekwondo were 
um, new additions to the Olympics. Korea participated at the Olympics with both Democratic Republic of Democratic People Republic of Korea and South Korea forming one team. Uh, we haven't seen that since, so I think that was that was a, a huge moment in history, and I think it all ties back to that moment or that period of time where it felt to us as innocent 10, 9, 10, 11 year olds that everything was right with the world. Yeah, definitely. Vibes are good. And even now, the the legacy of the Olympics, I don't know, I'm jumping ahead, but the legacy of the Sydney Olympics are that it was the happy games. That's what I read. Um, that's pretty unique to, you know, label that. And even I find most Australian events have that tag. Like even the Australian Open is meant to be the happy or the, the fun-loving type um, laid-back open. So it's... Well, when I was reading, I think there was one of these great Olympic historians, um, Harry Gordon. I'm not going to pretend like I know Harry. I have not read his work, but he did call the Olympics. He said the Sydney Olympics, he titled it the time of our lives. And it was, it was definitely the time of our lives. We had no distractions. This was the sole focus. Was it the greatest Olympics? Okay. Well, that's a tough question because what does greatest mean? It's, you know, when I say who's the GOAT, it's similar. Was this the greatest Olympics? Well, I would say yes, but I'm saying yes because... Have you been to any other Olympics? No. Yeah, me neither. That's... It, to me, was a, I would say it was the greatest. I mean, you know, you remember the, every closing ceremony of an Olympics, they always bring on the, the Olympic chairman and they'll always come out and say, this was the greatest Olympics of all time. I think it's the greatest because it made people the happiest. Australia did well and it was... The, it was the final Olympics before sort of the world, as, as you put it, the world sort of changed a little bit. We also had, an, but the volunteers apparently made it special and unique. Um, yeah, I did. I, I love rankings and opinions on what is the greatest in any type of discipline, field, sport, movies, whatever. And it's interesting. I think recency bias plays a big part in that. Like people are, in the list I read it over the week preparing for this, London's up there or Rio and for what the greatest greatest Olympics but who's ranking it yeah who knows people like us yeah true (laughs) just you know from podcasters yeah giving their view on so it's hard it's very okay I take your point it's super hard to establish what was the best I think we can just go off our own experience and yeah clearly held in our own backyard Australia doing well we were on school holidays with nothing else to do but just inhale this I agree. Special. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with categories. So top five moments of the games. I mean, and one thing I probably just want to mention before we hit the top five, and it might be one of your top fives, it might be one of mine, but we didn't mention the torch. It really defines the Olympics, but my neighbor ran with the torch. I remember it was like two kilometers away from my house and I was there waiting, just watching him run with the torch and I mean some other superstar athletes you had uh Dawn Fraser Betty Cuthbert at the Olympics you know these great swimmers athletes Kathy Freeman yeah at the end lighting it and Greg Norman apparently like he I think uh ran with the torch for a little bit during the opening ceremony and that was seen as the probably one of the most Australian moments because back then Greg Norman was seen by the world as, as, you know, a superstar golfer. Yeah, there wouldn't be many other like global, maybe Leighton Hewitt, was he around then? Was yeah, but early, he, but... no, he was, he was around then, uh, but he would have been young. Yeah. Um, but I think for a lot of 
uh, non-Australians, Greg Norman was seen as the Australian yeah. because he wore the Akubra hat. He when he golfed, he what was, was he, is he the shark? The shark, yeah, the shark because he made a lot of money. Um, you know, he used to have he would he had a jet at that time as wow. well. So um, the didn't, fact, yeah, the sorry, fact didn't that, he choke a lot as well? Isn't yeah, he known he for that? He did. It, you know, there might be a there might be a an episode maybe one day of uh, some of his masters um, chokes, but. <laughs> Uh, Norman, the fact that he participated at the um, 2000 Olympics, I think was seen by the world as, yes, this is truly the Australian Olympics. Yeah. Um, and so I just thought I had to mention that because it's a true, you know, the torch and the lighting of the torch and those sort of superstar athletes being in Australia. But top five moments, I'm going to run through a couple of points. Um, I don't think we can talk about an Olympics without, or the 2000 Olympics without mentioning Thorpe. He was 17 at the time. I think the 400 meters is just seen as this marquee event, like the 400 meters in, in running. And it's just one of those events that you have to be a sprinter, but then you also have to have some long distance endurance. And so it's that perfect athlete. And that's probably why a lot of people wanted to see an Australian win that. Yeah, and I think it brings in the specialists of both long distance and short distance into this hybrid you know, middle ground type. And so with Ian Thorpe, sorry, another fact I read, I didn't know this, but he was 17, as you mentioned, but 12 months prior, he's a 16-year-old with a broken ankle. So he had that right. to contend with. Do you think a broken ankle hurts you in swimming? How it, do you kick? Yeah, true. But <laughs> How do you jump off the, um, yeah. what's it called? <laughs> oh, the, 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 is it the podium? No. The dial? The dial. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you need you need an ankle to swim. You do, anyway, you do. But that's pretty impressive. But it doesn't affect you as much as running. Look at we. Who are we talking? We're sitting like couch potatoes here talking about. Yeah, swimming. I can't swim or run with. I think the four hundred meters was an iconic moment in Australian history. It's probably it's it's in our top five, no doubt. But I think, and I'm probably skipping ahead. My in my opinion, number one, even above Kathy Freeman, it's controversial. But my number one is the four by one hundred freestyle relay well i'm gonna get to it i know we're gonna get to it but i think that is would be his apex and then another quick story i heard so that Mm. same night and i know again this is all top five moments so relevant for this part of the podcast he won the 100 gold that same night and i don't know if you know this story thorpe thorpe yeah yeah so he won his 100 was meant to be then running backstage getting dressed coming back out i don't know if you've heard this story so he got out of his wet swimsuit Put the next one on, breaks the zipper. Gets out of that, puts the last, the third um, one he has, puts it up, breaks the zipper. So he had to get back into his wet, wet suit that he just won the 100 gold in to then run back out. And just, yeah, with that, like I don't know how what the timing would have been, but I'm sure it would have been rushed and crazy and hectic. And to have all that in the background and then, you know, deliver that performance is just... I think it was so special because he wins this 400 meter race and it's almost as if he wasn't even given an opportunity to just celebrate the achievement. They do the anthem and then he's straight back into the swimming sheds. That four by 100, let's just come to it now. It, I had it as my third, third. rewatchable moment. Oh, wow. But I think it's special because the four by 100 brought out the best in Klim. He actually swam a world brought, record. Yeah, I, I remember the commentary, world record time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was Dennis Committee for us um, is a is a well-known long-time AFL and sports commentator. He was um, 
commentating the race. And I think when Thorpe um, was swimming on the back leg, he was coming up against uh, Hall Jr. And I, I don't think Thorpe was a was a was a favorite because he the way he swam um, to catch up to Hall in that last fifty. That's that's the moment that you know a lot of people will remember, and them doing the guitars. The guitars, yeah, because of what the Americans it's an iconic. Like. It's an iconic image, um, uh, playing the guitars because the American team at the time. I know they actually subsequently said, I'm not sure if it was Hall or one of the other swimmers. It might have been Hall. He said later that the media had actually misquoted yeah, him. Yeah, he did. I've heard the same thing. Yeah, and that he, um, they asked him, oh, do you think you're going to win? And he said, yes, I think I'm going to win. And I, obviously, Australia is a great nation, great athletes, but we want to smash them like guitars. Gibson guitars, which he, Gibson. apparently he was sponsored by. <laughs> okay, so that then that makes sense. Yeah. And, and so the media obviously took half of his sentence, which is what you're supposed to do as a media um, journalist to create some hype. And it's so iconic that those four were on the top of the stage playing playing those guitars and it, it meant a lot to i think to the australian public yeah and i'm um, just re-watching the race which I, i've done many times it's like for me one of the best australian sporting moments ever i get goosebumps oh 100 percent um but the way ian thorpe swims it just seems so slow like it's so silky and you've got everyone around him just thrashing and water going everywhere and he's just like this seal that just glides and I just don't know how it works. Like I'm no swimming expert. I'd love to understand how or why he's so good. Effortless. Effortless. Yeah. That's a great word. The way he would glide through the water, you thought, oh, I can swim just as fast if I swim, if I, if my stroke is slow. And then obviously it's not the same for me no. and it's not the same for any of us, but he was, there was something magical about that stroke that in the hundred, he somehow was able to catch up to a hundred meter specialist. And it, that's why it's a it's a complete top five rewatchable moment. Yeah. So can we? Can you give me your top five? Yeah. So I've got those two. I've got in what order? Sorry. So I've got Thorpe as my number one. Which one? Sorry, hundred. He's four hundred. Oh, four hundred. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. I've got number two, and we'll get to it now. Kathy Freeman yep. for her four hundred. And so, Kathy Freeman, I I think a lot of people will remember where they were when she. Um, when she did the 400. So I was um, at the time at a music class. I was uh, learning Indian classical music. I, I told my mom before we left, I said, the bloody 400 meters is on. I didn't say bloody, I would have been in big trouble, but I said, the 400 meters is on, why are we going to class? And my mom said, don't worry, the, your teacher is going to pause the class during that time and we'll all go up and watch it. And I said, we better. We were in the middle of class halfway through. He says, let's go up and start. And we watched the 400 meter Kathy Freeman race. And to me, it's an iconic moment because it's an important moment in Australian history. It was a Aboriginal Australian athlete who'd overcome a lot of adversity, you know, growing up. Kathy Freeman was a superstar athlete even four, four years before. So she raced in the 96 Atlanta games. She got a silver medal. She came second to Marie-Josie Parekh. Marie withdrew from the 2000 games. And why, we, why did she withdraw? Well, there's a lot of speculation about being hounded by some media um, journalists. and Yeah, so one of my memories from the Olympics, and this is even before being asked by you to come on this podcast and, and from my research, but I do remember an image, it must have been through a news report of um, Marie being escorted out of a hotel or an airport and she just looks at the camera 
with fear in her eyes. And I still remember that fear in her eyes. So from subsequent research, I now know that, or we think we know that there were people intimidating her, threatening in her, um, following her. And that's why she withdrew in fear for her life. And it is sad though, because it would have been a greater race had she participated. Would Kathy have still won, do you think? Sorry, I, I muted you, but yeah, would, would Kathy have still won? Um, I don't know. Um, because Kathy Freeman ran quicker in the 96 games than she did in 2000, but I would say that she didn't need to run, she didn't need to run quicker in 2000 because she didn't have anyone else that was going to compete. Yeah. So from my perspective, I think the, everything Kathy Freeman did is amazing. was amazing for her people, for the Australian people, for Aboriginal, it's just, yeah, iconic, absolutely iconic. And she's rightfully lauded as a legend. She should be. That moment was um, a big relief. I think that's the, the famous quote from after she won. One of the commentators was, what a great relief because of that pressure she had on her. So not questioning her status as a champion and legend and icon. But it's subjective. I'm still going to put that moment in the top five. It's probably number two in my top five. Of so you agree moments. with me. It is number two. But Sorry, I disagreed with you where you had the, the relay. Yeah. I think the relay's one. Yeah. Kathy Freeman's two for what it means to Australians and us and what a moment. 112,000 people were there as well. 112,000 people. That's crazy. She had all that pressure. She had the weight of a nation on her shoulders. And to deliver under those circumstances is amazing. There is an element of what if, if Marie ran that race, but... She's still in my top five. I've got, so we've got 400, four by 100, 400 meters swimming and race um, athletics. I had Grand Hackett winning the 1,500. Hackett is this up and coming star trying to take over from Kieran Perkins. I thought it was iconic because the 1,500 is sort of seen as the marathon race at the end of the uh, sort of swimming part of the Olympics. And Hackett basically tore out of the park. He he didn't qualify first. I think he was in lane three or lane six. He came to the final. Kieran Perkins was in lane four, but nobody could nobody could touch Hackett. So I had Hackett. I've got a few others. I realized when I was picking a lot of this, at maybe somewhat unfairly, I picked a lot of uh, swimmers and athlete and athletic st stars. And I feel like. A lot of people might say, well, the Olympics is not just that. It's, you know, there's a lot of other events. And we maybe there's a place that we can cover some of those other stars because I want this podcast to be the Simon Fairweather podcast <laughs> because I don't think anyone in the world has has mentioned his name since 2000. And he is a Australia. Australia's first and I think only ever gold medalist in archery. And he dominated. I, I was I typed in Simon Fairweather Archery 2000 and I rewatched his final. And Nobody could touch him. He was so accurate. There was a big crowd for archery. I don't know where they would have done the archery. Maybe they obviously created some spot in yeah, Homebush. Yeah, it's at Homebush. They still yeah. have it out there, yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, so he he won the golden. I can't say he's not my top five, but I just wanted to put his name out there. Um, yeah. I'm distracting myself, but I have to I had to mention his name. Um, I have a couple of others. So I've got uh, Michael Johnson. Um, I don't... You might say, well, how can he be, how can he be rewatchable? But I just think that he's running style and he was coming off the back of gold in 96 in the 400. The 400 is seen as this iconic, you know, race. He's got the famous running style. So I, I had him in my um, top five moments. And finally, 
I included Tatiana Grigorieva. And so you might say, well, you know, she didn't win gold. She won a silver, but I think she became one of the most famous athletes in the next couple of years just from winning that silver. Again, quote, I might be wrong here, but apparently that was the first time women's pole vaulting had been included in the Olympics. You're seeing a lot of things that have been for the first time in the 2000 Olympics. I'm I'm questioning (laughs) my research, to be honest, but... um, Have I missed anything? In my top five similar, the other one that could be up there is jumping jai is it jai tarima tarima, jai tarima it. yeah again another silver medalist but for australia that's huge um but i just remember yeah watching that um and just had the way long jump and i guess pole vault works as well it's like you have your turn and you have to wait and and you have another go and and just his backstory apparently um a chain smoker eats pizza for breakfast lunch and dinner um just yeah the everyday aussie that we can all relate to who can just jump really far and high. And um, yeah, again, you mentioned that earlier on, it's not a sport we'd ever watch um, or get into, but... You'd watch it maybe once every four years. So exciting, so exciting because it's just so simple jumping. But when you see it at that level, um, and the pole vaulting as well. So yeah, I I don't know how to rank either one above the other, but um, both iconic events. I, I... so I haven't got a top five yet. I was hoping after we have this chat, we can settle on a top five and potentially have Well, I think we're pretty close though. But other big moments, I think were the women's water polo, like you mentioned, the last minute win against the US, I think. And then another last minute win in one of the um, final rounds too. Um, <laughs> I'm fact checked me, but again, I think first time in the, women, yeah, the, the women's water polo was in the Olympics too. Um, I... I I saw that game on TV with my mum and my dad. The I think they score in the last, in like it's yeah. the last twenty seconds. Um, you couldn't script it better no. for the women's um, water polo team to win gold. I mean, we should probably shout out. I, I didn't watch. I didn't watch much of it, but we did win in the beach volleyball. Yeah, I was um, going to say that beach volleyball yeah. was like up there. Um, we did win in that. Um, we won in sailing. We won a couple in cycling. Shooting, Michael Diamond in the shooting. Who, uh, I, if Michael Diamond walked on the street, I wouldn't recognize. I, all I remember is that he wore sunnies. Yeah. Or did every shooter win sun? Did every shooter have to wear sunnies? I don't know. Does it help you? It must help you. Maybe some protection or something, right? Yeah. I don't know why you have to protect your eyes, but he did win in the shooting. So um, I think from an Australian perspective, having like someone win in archery, having someone win in shooting, it just, it, it sort of, defined our games that we could win in all sort of sports and i think it was really good i know they do this at every olympics but it, it was good that australia could have an athlete in every sport yeah and another one taekwondo lauren burns lauren burns yep if we have missed any let us know um the the men the soccer tournament the the gold medal match like two nil down i think yeah spain were two nil they're up with a fancy team future yeah. legends in there and then cameroon came back two all penalty shootout like at any level that's a crazy final let's get into some segments and categories it might be that when we go through some of these segments and categories that we are talking about things that we've previously spoken about so we'll we'll run through some of those quickly but hot seat so i see hot seat i might have mentioned it to you before if you listened to episode one it is who was coming in who came in under the most pressure and i think you could, there's an argument that everyone who is at the Olympics is under the most pressure from their nation and media. But 
I think the winner for that is uh, Kathy Freeman. I think 100%. She, yeah, she came in, you know, she had the weight of a nation on her. Yep, agreed. Maybe the American dream team um, for basketball. They did win the gold, but I would have thought they probably come in with the most pressure only because there's this almost understood implication that they have to win every game and they have to win by 40 points. And it didn't, it turned out a, a lot closer. I think they just beat Lithuania in the, um, in the semifinal, whether they were the hot seat more than yeah, Kathy I, Freeman. I, I disagree only because up until then, they'd always just been expected to win. Yeah. It's the Redeem team, I think, which is the next Olympics. Might have been the or next 2008. Or 2008. Yeah. That's, they had, I think, the yeah. most pressure when, yeah, okay, to come back. I like it. Um, the MJ Most Spectacular oh, Award. I've got a few here. My Yeah, let's hear it. My selection would have to be Vince Carter. I know it's a, named after a basketball player this segment, but Vince Carter, posterizing. Um, I, you might, you'll know more about that moment than me. It's just a moment, but it's a moment that probably has 100 million views on YouTube. Arguably the best dunk in history. I think so. It's up there. It's been argued that. That's, I, I wouldn't have gone there as most spectacular performance, but um, I... Oh, sorry. Wasn't it most... Yeah, you can, you can read moment. it however you want it. It's um, most performance is a moment, so I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. I mean, when I was thinking of this, I broken it down into some of the athletes that won. So yeah, that's probably more appropriate. I had Thorpe, three yeah. golds. Yeah. Um, Marion Jones, had she not been disqualified uh, later, no. I would have thought this was her Olympics. Her name's a swear word now. You can't say, you can't talk about Marion Jones. But I had her initially and then she obviously... Um, subsequently lost all her, they were all taken away from her. Um, this is a low key one, but Inga de Bruyne as most spectacular, she won three golds. She was, um, I never knew that Netherlands had a rich swimming lineage, yeah, but Peter they, Van den Hugenberg. yeah, he won the hundred meter swimming, um, hundred meter against, uh, Thorpe. Was it 200 or 100? 200. You're right. Yeah. 200. Um, but Inga de Bruyne won three golds and a silver at the Olympics. She was seen as, um, I think the rival to Susie O'Neill, our own Madam Butterfly at the time. Ironically, Susie O'Neill didn't win a gold for Butterfly. That she won it for freestyle. Uh, I had her as a most spectacular performance. Um, we're probably missing a lot oh, of we're people, heaps. but they're sort of my. Um, th that's my category. Um, this one's an interesting one. So it's. I'll come up with a name. I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus yet, but it's most disappointing performance. And so. For me, this is a, I think we were discussing this pre-podcast, um, so it's not going to come as a huge surprise to you. But I had Jane Savile, and so she was the Australian women's 20-kilometer walking specialist. Um, she was leading the whole way, walking at the Olympics and in athletics is this very strange sport where you, they, they're encouraging you not to run. And you have to yeah, walk. So keeping it consistent. You have to walk fast. They have this, um, I think it's you get three strikes or you get a yellow card, you get one warning and then you, you're disqualified. And so I think she got her warning very early on. She was dominating. The, the stadium Australia was waiting. You have to walk through the stadium and do one lap, I think, to win. And she was 100 metres outside the stadium, had a huge lead and... Basically, the final referee carded her, and she was. Yeah, yeah it's an iconic moment. Yeah. If you see the clip, iconic. Yeah, yeah. I remember the um, the judge just going up to her, putting it in her face, and she just breaking down. So, 
when you said disappointing, I didn't know if you meant like a disappointing outcome. We all just, you know, felt that the performance down. wasn't disappointing. Or, yeah, no, that's yeah. right. Or was it someone that didn't perform that we were expecting them to? Do you um, have one for that? I don't. I was trying to think about it. I think in future Olympics, is it James Magnuson that yeah. was meant to be the favorite and, and choked, I guess? He's a 100 meter specialist. In yeah. The, yeah, he he was. I mean, when I talk about James Abel, I probably mean it from a perspective of it was disappointing that she was going to win. Yeah. It was going to be our 17th gold medal and she was basically just, dis, she was disqualified 10 seconds before she was yeah, about to get like there. a heartbreaking moment. It was I heartbreaking. Think is, um, that I, I, definitely fits that's out. true, yeah. Um, I didn't have anyone else there. I mean, probably on a on a you know better news story, the Don, I see this as, was there a performance at this games where it was the peak performance for an athlete? They never reached a greater height. This was their yeah. ultimate shining moment. I, I think the answer, there's only one answer there and it, it's Kathy Freeman. Yeah. In my opinion, I might sound ignorant here. I'm not sure what she achieved Did after Did she race that. afterwards? I don't think she was at the Athens Olympics. I'm going to push back slightly on Kathy Freeman Apex performance only if I was looking at it from a purely um, st- statistical point of view. She won the gold, but she ran faster in Atlanta. Yeah, but you just said it before. Did she need to run as fast without old mate yeah. at home? Um, do you remember in Canberra, did you ever go to Questacon? Yeah. Okay, so do you remember how you could race against Kathy Freeman Um <laughs> In Questcon, I don't know why I think of that, but I think I think we find it iconic as well because she that suit that she wore, that suit and the context around it, like we spoke about, she yeah. was racing for a nation no one else can relate to. And I just did a quick Google; she didn't race after didn't that race. in yeah. any other Olympics. Um, so that for me is is the answer. I think the other potential candidate is Thorpe, but but Thorpe uh, did really well in two thousand four, yeah, exactly. even though he was technically theoretically um, disqualified. From the yeah, and that, that bloke, Craig Stevens, I think, was yeah. it? Gave up his spot. That's um, another day. Yeah, the reason, again, I was going to push back against Thorpe is the the race of the century happened in Athens where it was Thorpe versus Phelps versus Hugenband and Hackett. So you had, what, three legends at various points in their career and Thorpe won that. And, again, separate topic for another day, but I've always wondered what would happen to Phelps medal count if Thorpe didn't retire at 24, 23, 24. He was quite young. Yeah, but... He came for the, made the comeback later, but... I know. I don't know. I know this is the debate. And again, going off topic here, Phelps is probably the greatest swimmer. He's won gold medals in He'd say multiple he's the greatest disciplines. Athlete. But I think Thorpe's the greatest freestyler. Okay. I mean, I would say I have some sympathy for swimmers because it is a slog to train every morning at why do they have to train at 4 a.m that's a very good question i yeah but yeah any being, swimmers out there let us know is it something about you've you're faster in the morning but then you you don't have events in the morning you unless you, know, you swim at night to maintain your the rest of your lifestyle like most Could swimmers be. i'm assuming aren't full-time swimmers yeah possibly it's hard to make a living i would have thought out of it unless you get some sponsorship and some support but yeah, so it's a, it's a slog. But yeah, no, I think I'm with you. I think that's in terms of Apex performances. That's, and I'm just going to say, unless Fairweather won another gold somewhere, that's a performance for him, Michael Diamond. Yeah, any of the gold medalists that yeah, didn't, that didn't win again. So 
credit. I mean, going back to your the most disappointing, I guess, wouldn't you have to look at every silver medalist or bronze medalist? And if there's any favorites there that didn't. After the Olympics, one of the athletes who won bronze, he came, I think it was rowing, and he came and sort of gave a speech at Eastwood Heights Public School, and he brought his bronze medal, and everyone was really excited that it was a medal. And so for him, that was a crowning achievement because he probably wasn't even expecting to win. So, yeah, you're yeah. right. I meant more, so if you were trying to work out a disappointing yeah. event. Was someone it, who was Someone who should have won gold and didn't. Yeah. Like, I'm sure Gary Hall Jr., and he the Americans would be, exactly would think, well, yeah, disappointed. And uh, just a shout out, India at the Olympics, they had uh, no gold, no silver, but we had a bronze. It was in weightlifting and I didn't watch it, but I remember my mum telling me that India had won its first medal in weightlifting. You can win gold, you can take risks in weightlifting. You just have to choose how much you want to lift. And so she went second or third last and the option was given to her, if you lift this, you'll win gold, but if you fail it, you won't win a medal or you can choose to lift this and you guarantee yourself a bronze. And she chose the bronze, but who knows? Had she gone for gold, she might've won. But um, would you remember this in 40 years time, Phil? It's 2023, 23 years since we've had the Olympics. I haven't forgotten much. I personally think I won't forget it because we lived through it. Yeah, 100% agree. It's a, it's a cool memory. It's a memory from our childhood that it's probably up there with our best memories, like for mm-hmm. me anyway. So I don't think it, it will ever fade. Like just talking about it off the cuff, remembering so many wonderful moments, it's, it's going to live on, I think. And we've got Brisbane coming up. Will Brisbane be the same? Are you going to go? Probably not. We're going to be old. 2032, is it? Yeah. So maybe that's the, you know, the, our children's, you know, Sydney Olympics. That's the moment they're going to remember. Yeah. And we, we, I know I will anyway, we'll compare anything back to. Yeah. We'll to, be those old, old guys that are like, no, nothing compares to the, <laughs> yeah. to the 2000 Olympics. So our grandchildren will be saying, did you perform? We are like, no, <laughs> we were just watching it on no, TV. We just podcast about it. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, cool. So. That is it for the 2000 Olympics. Sorry, it's, before we go, we yeah. missed out on another big matter. Eric the Eel. I've tried to rewatch it and I, I, it's... Is it as good? Like, why is it iconic? I actually don't know. And now, again, we're, this is what the, the segment that's going to get me cancelled and maybe <laughs> I should have just let it go through. No, but, but it, it happened. It happened. It was special. But again, from the pure sporting statisticians in us, yeah. it was nothing special. But then you look at the context. It's always about the context and yeah. what he went through, the journey he went on, again, what it means for Africa and yeah. Equatorial Guinea, where he's from. Yeah. Was he um, the first, uh, like, blues? it must have been the first swimmer. Yeah. Um, I think he, that that yeah. event was broke a record for yeah. for his country. So I'm actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I When I was thinking about the 2000 Olympics, I think a lot of clips and a lot of articles will mention Eric the Eel. Um, and then, but then when I was thinking about oh, who had the best performances, who was the most disappointing, he logically, there wasn't a spot for him, but I think it's yeah, good. You you're right. It. You're right. It's, it doesn't fit in any of those categories, but it is. It's iconic. It's iconic. It's it what is iconic. people remember about yeah. the games, I guess. No, I'm with okay. you. Um, all right. No, very good. Sorry to jump in. No, that was a good, that was actually uh, some good input there. Um, Phil, thank you for being my second guest of all time. Whether you are the last guest is... <laughs> 
is uh, it's possible. Um, but no, I had a lot of fun doing this with you. You're probably going to hear a lot more if he's if if he has the time because Phil's a very busy man. He's a lawyer. But if he has the time, you're going to be hearing from him a lot more in future episodes. He's a big football guy and we're going to be covering a fair few football events. But Phil, hope you had a good time. I did. Thanks for having me. And uh, I will see you next week. I've got a bit of a doozy on next week. I'll give you a preview of that a bit later. But yeah, thank you. And we'll see you soon. 